This is another episode of SEO is Dead and Other Lies. How was your vacation? I know you went overseas for a bit. Yes, I, I got back at 7 p.m. last night um, after an eight-hour flight. But uh, I was over in Europe. I was in England and in Austria for a little bit. So just took some took some vacation time. Um, that's why we didn't uh, have a have a podcast go up last week. But, you know, it was great. went skiing. Um, it was a lot of fun, but happy to be back in the warm weather. So we have a, a really interesting podcast tonight, and we're lucky to have a really good guest on. Um, and so tonight we're going to be kind of discussing, we'll say the PR side of, of SEO. And we have guest Michael Magnus, who kind of reached out to us before. And uh, we've been chatting back and forth for a while. And I'm glad to finally have him on and get his insights on this. Uh, hey, Michael, why don't you, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so I am a uh, strategic communication lecturer at uh, TCU in Texas. And um, a lot of what I teach is the digital competencies that are kind of evolving within our, our internet marketing era. And one of the things I teach within that is SEO for advertising and PR. Um, I, my background is kind of in that arena. And I, I did link building for a long time without realizing that that's what I was doing. And once I kind of figured out some of the backend metrics to um, measure and, and really better communicate the impact of a lot of those PR efforts. Um, uh, it, it pretty quickly translated into uh, just doing link building full time as my consulting. So that's a really interesting topic to, to bring up. And I have to deal with this pretty regularly at my, my job. Um, so I work for a larger enterprise company and, you know, link building is a really important part of our strategy. I know it's important because I've been doing SEO forever and I know, you know, uh, that's kind of what gets you up in the rankings, but having to um, kind of quantify a monetary value or just a really like an overall value of links uh, to, you know, people who are C-suite executives or just stakeholders or, or whatever um, is always really, really difficult. So uh, do you have any particular way that like you can kind of quantify that? Well, honestly, I, I think a lot that we do in link building is actually easier to quantify than a lot of things that is done in PR. So, for instance, you know, historically, you go to a trade show and you hand out 3,000 flyers. Well, how do you communicate the, the measurable value of that? And uh, even with news stories that get published, we, we talk about the column inches and any of those kind of things, but really being able to translate, you know, more people read this to more people read this. And by the way, now our website ranks higher on Google, which means we get more traffic, which means that we sell more widgets. Uh, and I think that link building is actually an easier sell um, in tandem with PR than PR alone. It's funny you mentioned that too. I was actually talking to someone recently about uh, quantifying their social media efforts and they were working with like a, a food brand or some sort of product that's featured in a grocery store. And they really wanted to hold this agency accountable for their posts and their promotions on social media uh, translating to sales in grocery stores. And I almost feel like that's almost impossible to be able to quantify something like yeah. that. Do so you feel like that's kind of in the same vein? You know, I, I think there's always ways to kind of get clever with the tracking and the metrics, but yeah, and I think in general, it's all kind of correlation, really, <laughs> whether we're talking about advertising or, or 
PR or um, link building, there's a lot of things that we can track now more than ever, and that's helpful. Um, but a lot of the data is just kind of correlating to sales and hoping that we can take credit for part of it. Uh, on the link building side, because you've done it for so long, do you use like DA uh, as like one of the, the major metrics for like the, the quality of a, like a link, like kind of what you would charge for it or, or your services? So to be fair, I, uh, I, I was more into the content writing. And so I didn't even know originally to look for that kind of information. And then once I started uh, kind of playing around with SEO and looking into link building and things like that, I started kind of cataloging a lot of the, the earned media or publications that I had gone out. Um, and like some of them were with MarthaStewart.com, which was like when I started tracking it, I had a lot of content out there that was on 70 to 90 DA sites that I was like, wait a minute, I, I sold this wrong in the value of what it was at the time that I, that I wrote it. Cause it was just kind of like, Hey, some people are going to read about, you know, the, this topic and they're, they're going to learn about your company from that. And so now what I do is I, I do absolutely kind of look for sites with higher DA and kind of go shopping based on that. Um, but you still want to pay attention to like the topic of the site and things like that to make sure that it's semantically relevant and things of that nature. But um, I, I would say that's probably a main factor of when I'm going out and actually either writing content or trying to place content. Um, the domain authority and, and topic are probably those top two things that I'm looking for. I used to have to do a lot of link building in my earlier days of SEO, you know, it was kind of a, a package deal all rolled into one where your, the SEO kind of has, has to do everything. Um, but we would, uh, guest posting was really, really big at the time. And we would just look for anyone that would accept a guest post. Um, so you'd end up having like articles about, you know, iPhone repair on a yoga website or whatever. So I'm actually kind of glad that Google really devalued um, semantically like that, like that kind of content on unrelated websites i think it's made for a much better like uh, experience so it's one of the one of the algorithm updates i'm, I'm actually in favor of that, that have happened i'll say that that algorithm update really kind of put the whole industry in a position where pr and link building now probably overlap more than they ever have before because as you know it, you used to be able to just rack up links from anywhere and everywhere and that, that was good that was great um but yeah. now with kind of the the semantic updates uh, anything that you do in PR that earns those links, that's semantically relevant, typically, and so it's going to help more than some of the other things that we would kind of manually do to try to track down and chase and publish and, and earn those links otherwise. Um, so I, I think that update kind of is created the slow but steady merger towards link building and PR, having more consistencies between them and may ultimately kind of merge them at some point in some way. So let's hang around here for a little bit because I think this is going to be the core of what we're discussing. So, you know, PR with link building and SEO benefits. So a, a lot of listeners and even myself like kind of on the fence about what PR looks like as far as the world of SEO nowadays. As we know, Google kind of went out of its way, maybe even like as many as seven years ago, saying in their own PR, press releases aren't going to have as much of a value anymore. Like the links from press releases are just not going to have the same impact that they did before because it's kind of been easy to get your stuff kind of published within these like PR networks. So let's kind of redefine, redefine PR as it stands today. So it's not just like going to PR Newswire. I don't even know what they are anymore. You can go get packages. There's a bunch of them, yeah. You can go on Conquer, you can go on Fiverr, you can go on Black Hat World. There's a lot of places selling PR packages with links, but 
if those aren't really earning the links of the value that they used to, what does PR look like nowadays as far as having an SEO impact? Well, I, I think that PR for a while has been more than just kind of more than just putting out a newswire. I, I think a lot of it comes down to doing outreach and pitching the stories, which, you know, those are the same tactics we use in a lot of link building. You know, you guys joked in, a, in an earlier episode that was the, uh, I think it was the one that was the past, future, and present of link building, relationship building. And, uh, you know, to a degree, it, it might actually be in some ways, because if you uh, develop a good relationship with a reporter or somebody who's publishing regularly, um, newspapers typically have pretty high domain authority. And so if I have somebody that I can reliably say like, hey, I'm going to give you this insider scoop. It's not just a press release. I'm, I've created a relation with somebody, relationship with somebody that I can reliably feed information knowing that they're going to, you know, populate a link for me that's uh, pretty authoritative. Well, you know, that has value. So it's not just kind of the, the let's put out something and see if any anybody bites. I think it's more of the active outreach piece and relationship building that does kind of make the PR element of it easier sometimes. I mean, I think it's, well, we're talking about, uh, you know, like a, like a press release, like anyone can send one out for a hundred dollars, right. Or $110, whatever service. And it's going to go wherever it's going to go on a bunch of random local news websites, whatever geographical area you pick. And no one's probably ever going to read it. But the, the one, you know, the articles that actual um, reporters that, that have a following that have, have like authorship authority, uh, if they're quoting you, if they're linking to you, yeah, they're, there's a huge value um, in that as opposed to the, you know, the old strategies, which was just like, Hey, we got to do this. You know, it's, it's, it's an easy hundred bucks. We got to, we got to send it out there. And it was literally, I think just an SEO play, right? No one was ever thinking anyone's going to read it or click through it. But I think uh, the point that you're making um, is yeah. If you, if you can develop like actual relationships where you're a source of, of content or just information for, for a reporter um, that's super, super valuable. And, you know, reporters all know other reporters. Um, they all talk, uh, they share sources all the time. So it's a really easy way to, to get into other publications on top of that. And I, I think another benefit of that is, you know, sometimes in PR, if, if a story is published and it doesn't have a link, it's kind of taboo to ask for the link um, afterwards or some PR people perceive it that way. You know, if you develop a relationship with the reporters or whoever it is that's releasing the news, you can kind of establish in that like, hey, as part of this, I, I need that link. And they understand, like they, they get it that it's part of the game. And some news publications may have their own standards about what that looks like, but particularly a lot of local ones, if you're doing some local SEO, um, but really even national as well, a lot, a lot of the times you can get that link. So uh, in your PR efforts, um, are there any tool sets and stuff that you can recommend? I mean, I know I, I used to use Cision um, in the past, which is just a large, you know, network collection of, of reporters paired with Haro. It's like the same company and stuff. Um, so is there anything like that you can recommend? Cision's really kind of the big one that a lot of people use. It's also more expensive. So you got to make sure that you know what you're kind of looking for. On, I'll say at this point, I don't do as much on the PR side. Um, I work with more PR departments. And so where they're looking for kind of shifts in, um, public sentiment, I'm looking for uh, little slow but steady increases in domain authority. And um, we uh -huh. kind of look at our two different numbers and say, okay, uh, some teams you can say, okay, let's work together and, and find the overlap and figure out where 
good audience size also happens to have good domain authority that's a relevant topic and everybody wins. Or sometimes I say, you know, line in the sand, this is PR, that's link building, that's what you can go do. And then you kind of have to play accordingly sometimes depending on who who gets to call those shots. And in a lot of companies, the PR team is a little bit more established. So they may have more authority uh, in some cases to dictate some of those decisions. So, but yeah, I, I, I at this point use way more in the way of link building to tools than I do in the way of uh, PR tools. Um, so let's, let's say like, uh, let's say you're starting a PR department because occasionally this, this happens for, you know, for startups, things like that. And they don't want to go out and hire an agency or anything like that. What kind of advice would you give someone starting out to sort of build those relationships and, and find those opportunities? That's a great question. I'm, I think a lot of it is understanding the value to the other person. I'll give you an example of uh, an interesting kind of story that I think anecdotally has some value. Um, so a little bit of background uh, that has nothing to do with anything, but my daughter, who is now seven, um, has her own kind of charity. She's a little philanthropist. She has a website, it's pictureshelpingpeople.com. But the university I was working at before I was at TCU thought that was an interesting story. And they said, hey, do you think that, would you mind if we shared that with uh, local media? And I was like, no, she, she had done a little bit of local media stuff recently. It's a cute kid with a cute story. I mean, it makes everybody feel good. And so their hope was that they would get a mention in that story. Well, they did the whole story about cute kid doing nice things and the university was never mentioned once. And so I initially was like, oh, they're, they're going to think that that was a failure. But then that particular journalist created a good relationship with them and went on to publish like seven other stories about the university following that because they had developed that relationship. So I think a key to kind of finding those relationships is not really just thinking what has value to me that other people should inherently love to know. It's kind of finding what is, what's the opportunity I have to, to be of value to them. And um, that really kind of helps get the ball rolling in a lot of ways. That's interesting too, because that was actually going to be my next question. And, and I want to say that PR link building is pretty unique compared to other forms of link building, because I'd say the majority of link building is being very active with going out and, and actively trying to find opportunities to get a link somewhere where it seems like PR is, it's, I wouldn't say it's passive, but it's more encouraging people to link to you doing a lot of different tactics. So do you go into PR link building with a very unique mentality that's really different from almost every other form of link building where it's just like, I'm not going to really be active going out there. I'm going to have to make everything as suitable as possible to kind of draw people to link to me. Is that really just the mindset? I don't know if PR is all that passive anymore. I mean, I know that it has been in the past and I'm sure it has to do with the way that some teams work, but you know, the reason that link building seemed like a natural thing to me is because a lot of it was just outreach and I had done tons of outreach um, over time in PR. So I, I don't, I don't know if PR is as passive, at least on smaller scales as, as maybe it, it can be at, at that big corporate level. You know, I've done a ton of outreach in the past. Do you have a, do you have a template that you use or do you write like a, just a custom email, putting a lot of time for, for each one that you send out. Here's a mistake I've made that uh, I learned from was that <laughs> I was trying to pitch some content and um, creating a dialogue with the publisher of the site. And then afterwards did a search for um, that particular topic and realized that 
that was kind of the specialty of that particular author who happened to be the editor of the site. So I, I, I kind of was, you know, saying, hey, I should publish this thing that is your topic. Um, well, after that, I kind of got smarter and said, okay, here's the template, but let me do a quick search on their site to see what do they have about, let's say it's an article about link building. I, I might look at what they have about SEO and about link building and kind of those similar topics and then um, say, hey, I, I noticed that you had this other article and this is the supplement to that article to kind of, A, have put in a little bit of time to, you know, show that you're familiar with their platform and you're not just a bot. Uh, but B, it also kind of starts them thinking about taking ownership of that article in that, um, well, this is the companion piece. I, I obviously need this piece of content. You know, actually being interested, <laughs> right? Right, in, which uh, is extremely yeah. time-consuming. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's very time-consuming to be interested, but I find that the success rate is much higher and that um, in the long run, if you kind of look at the time spent doing the outreach versus what you actually have to show for it. Sometimes it's actually more efficient than just kind of spamming people and what you ultimately come away with. So, so you think that we're going through like another phase of, of outreach because outreach for a long time was just like pretty disjointed. There wasn't really anything relatable to it. It was kind of just like, I saw you have a blog. This would be good for the blog. Paul and I have had background with working with lawyers. So it'd be like, I noticed that you have a blog about motorcycle injuries. Can you post my insurance company's blog about how to save on motorcycle insurance? And it's like, that's still not very close, but you're getting closer. So you think that we're at a point where it's just like, okay, people have been getting request for outreach for quite some time. We're really going to have to drill in and like customize and personalize almost every single email. I think it depends on how numb they are to being pitched to. I think, you know, smaller sites, if you're reaching out to them, they're, they're excited just to have the attention, right? But if you start trying to go uh, to, to bigger sites that they've been pitched for a long time, yeah, they're, they're going to kind of zone you out more often than not if it doesn't look like there's some kind of um, direct appeal. I, I, I think that's, mm. that's kind of been my experience at least the last few years is that the ones I see the most response to are the ones that um, there's a little bit of, of connection there. And sometimes I also find that it's easier to kind of say, okay, what's your website about? And then can I kind of work in a way to have a conversation about whatever it is that I'm trying to link to? So, you know, let's say for instance, that you're talking about uh, a small, how to get started with five tips for starting a small business, right? And as part of that, you work in a link that says something to the effect of, well, you'll need to figure out how to pay people. And with that, there's this financial sharing app that makes that easy, right? So it's not kind of bending your content to the site, but rather, I mean, not bending the site to your content, but rather kind of like adapting your content to semantically make mm -hmm. sense for the site and then, but still have kind of a, a work in, in some way that still ties in ideally kind of organically, but um, as best as possible. Yeah. I know one of the tactics I've always used and I, and I've, I've done it pretty successfully in the past is creating some sort of like actual relevant statistical research with a, so a lot of people have customer data they can use for that. Um, you know, I've had the the benefit of working at some pretty large, companies uh, where we've been able to, to make some pretty good research that we just put out there. And then it's just an, an easy like, hey, you know, you don't have to use this if you want to use it. I know you cover these topics. 
you know, we put this together to use for your next piece, right? So it's, it's really low pressure. Um, and I find that, you know, good content, uh, really good content, um, in a way does, does have, have the opportunity to just kind of build links to it, to itself, but, you know, giving that a, a little bit of nudge and just sort of putting that out there and being helpful can lead to, to a lot of really good backlinks. One quick thing I wanted to ask is, uh, do you have any particular campaigns that you did that you're like really, really proud of and you got like a, like a really baller backlink from? Well, Martha Stewart. That was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah. Martha <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I worked in a very, very specific niche for a while in that, you know, you guys work in the niche of, of lawyers a lot. I worked in the niche of leatherworking. Uh, there were some different brands that sell leatherworking materials, um, people who sell leatherworking patterns, things mm-hmm. like that. But when you think of leather workers, a lot of the time they're, they're not kind of the young, hip, tech savvy people. So that kind of created an opportunity to be that supplement for that industry. And so there was a lot of content created over time in doing that, that was for um, Martha Stewart or Art of Manliness or, you know, finding charming stories about these, these kind of legacy leather workers that um, were doing something interesting. And as part of that, you need this tool to be able to accomplish hand sewing with leather. That was the article for Martha Stewart, right? So there was a few backlinks in there that actually went to product pages um, and ultimately were were pretty lucrative. But, you know, a lot of that just kind of came from being able to articulate things in that space like no one else could. That was actually, it was that series of articles that kind of flagged for me that like, hey, which, what you're doing has supplemental value that you're not selling right. You're not really documenting. You're not really reporting that this is the inherent value. There was always kind of this idea that, you know, I published this article and, you know, here's the, here's the readership size. Oh, by the way, there's a link and you might get some SEO value. Uh, but once I really kind of figured out how things work, it, it flipped the script and said, hey, by the way, you're going to get some traffic, you're going to get some some readership, but you got a high linking domain back to some really, you know, great anchor texts that are going to product pages. And that's the value. So once I kind of developed a little bit of the the understanding of link building, it really kind of flipped the script on how I pitched writing content. You know, that's as good as being on like a, a CNN or, you know, any other major website. I think it's even better because, you know, the CNNs and your NBCs and all those, they're linking out to so many articles every single day as the OBL is like through the roof. So those other ones are almost like probably more like curated articles where each link out is probably yeah. worth more. And you're probably not reading an article about, you know, making stuff out of leather on art of alienness. And if you're not interested in actually doing that, you know, it's not just like a casual read. You're probably like searching that out. Um, and that's really what's interesting you. So contextually, that, that's like even better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it had good links. It had semantic and it had a good audience. It, I didn't realize how much of a home run those types of things were at the time. And, and really, I mean, I was producing the content at the core because like I wanted to, and I thought it was fun. It was a great opportunity to kind of build some uh, portfolio of writing. But again, I, I just was totally clueless as to the actual value of what I was in some, in some cases giving away that, you know, it was just, I linked to it because it was the thing that you needed and not because I was thoughtful enough to, to recognize that that would have value to a brand that was linked to. So is it fair to say that it, it can go further to be hyper niche because I consider like the legal industry niche, but leatherworking, I consider 
pretty freaking niche. It's yeah. niche within a niche within a niche. Yeah, totally. I, I'm not going to say that I recommend that for, for several reasons. So it's, it's easy to be kind of the authority on something like that when you are fairly tech savvy and a lot of that industry is not in like other users, right? I, I don't claim to be the best leather worker at all, <laughs> far from it. Uh, but I know how to articulate instruction. The other piece that's helpful is that uh, I have kind of a, a partner in a lot of those things that I do who is one of the best leather workers in the world, and his name is Jim Linnell. Um, and so he has uh, learned a lot of tech stuff over time as we've kind of partnered on some different things, but that does help to make sure that the content is accurate. And so what, what I'll say that the value of that is, is I could publish content on that all day long, right? Like I could go to any site that might have some type of value. I can find a hook, I can pitch it, I can get it published and I can get those links. But the problem I ran into is that for quite a while, I'd gotten so locked into that, that I kind of forgot those skills were transferable to other things that maybe have the opportunity to work with companies that have more money. Um, and so in a lot of ways, it was great because I was able to really champion a lot of things, get published a lot of cool places um, and really tell a story about something that uh, I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, but I kind of got blinders on and um, kind of golden handcuffs kind of scenario where being really good at it almost gets you stuck. You teach, uh, you teach on SEO and stuff now. Interesting question when you're, you're teaching, do you find it really hard to keep up with the constant changes that happen in the SEO industry and applying that to like a course curriculum? Yes and no. I, so there's a lot of things that I keep up with to kind of try to keep up with them um, and mm -hmm. make sure that I'm not spreading misinformation. But at the same time, um, when we're teaching PR and advertising students how to do SEO, we're not teaching them structured data and site speed. We're really kind of talking at a high level at how to use keywords and how do you do link building. And um, if they want to learn more, we kind of dig in more and I can kind of show them stuff. Um, but for the mm -hmm. most part, it's at a, at a pretty high level of um, these are just basic things you need to know. Like how can you do design thinking when applied to writing? Um, you know, I give them some exercises that are almost kind of like reverse Mad Libs where it's like, here's five keywords and a little prompt about a local restaurant and how do you write the about us page that's optimized around these words, right? So I'm not, when, when I teach a lot of that, it's more concept and less specific. Um, gotcha. And so it's, it's not as hard to kind of work around that, at least right now. Piggybacking off of that, when Paul and I were in school and we were at the UCF business school, Go Knights, they didn't have any sort of digital marketing whatsoever. Um, if they did, they probably talked about it for about a half of one class. And then it took a while and then we started seeing it more and more. And then, of course, you're, you're teaching a course at TCU on it. So do you, do you think that maybe over time it's going to take over more and more of a curriculum and kind of take out some things that might be outdated and actually do more than one course on it and kind of delve deeper into some of the, the principles that we're discussing? I think absolutely. I, I, I think that a lot of universities already are moving towards more of a blend of theory and experiential learning um, because for a long time people would graduate and they'd have a lot of great ideas but not as much kind of hands-on experience and then kind of life would hit them in the face and so I think that universities in general 
uh, at least the ones that I've kind of been associated with the past few years, have really put an emphasis on making sure that there's skills with that to take away. And so like when I teach SEO, it's not an SEO class. Like I teach it an intro to advertising. Uh, we work it into uh, strategic writing, right? So we're, we're taking these elements and I, I started by doing a, a lecture for our faculty to kind of say, here's what this is. And here's kind of a few touch points that, you know, we might perhaps be able to integrate it in other classes. And now we've kind of applied that there. And, um, you know, even just this week, we started having similar conversations with journalism and, and kind of where, where do you kind of optimize around keywords without changing the story and things like that. So I, I think across the board, there are more conversations happening about how to make students more uh, digitally literate. Uh, a lot of our advertising and PR students graduate with a data analytics minor where they're going out into the workforce as a PR graduate, Excel certified and knowing how to program in Python. So I'm, oh, I, yeah, so That's I, super I, valuable. yeah, so I, I think the, I think the educational model is evolving in general, at least from what I've seen. I can't, I can't say that's the same thing everywhere, but I, I think that the more that we see competition of like, well, why did that person get a job versus our graduate? And it was because they were required to get Google analytics before they could get a degree. Well, that kind of sets a new standard of, well, what certifications do we require and uh, where do we kind of plug in these things? So I, I do think that you're going to see more of that. And uh, I think that's another reason that we're going to see a little bit of that merger overall in kind of some of that PR and, and digital stuff is that the students who are graduating now, they're more tech savvy. Like they just, they're born with a phone in their hand at this point. They are getting a lot more of that kind of hands-on training going like prior to going out and the tools are easier to use. I mean, professionally, I use, you know, SEM Rush and, and RFs a lot, but Moz is pretty intuitive and, and maybe it doesn't do everything or report as pretty as some of the others, but um, they do 75% off for, nonprofits, which most universities qualify, even TCU, you know, it's an easy tool to sign up for a year and uh, get 75% off and then use something like LastPass to circulate passwords around to students so they can start learning how to do keyword research and looking at links and things like that. Uh, because, you know, they're going to go to an internship and somebody's going to say, hey, you're at this new PR firm. That's awesome. Can you start cataloging the first 10 pages of Google that we have mentions and they're going to say, yeah, but I can do it in 30 seconds because I know how to use these particular tools and sort this data. So I, I think kind of the triplicate of, of students just coming in more tech savvy and universities employing more experiential learning and the barrier for entry to learn some of those technologies is, is really going to, we're going to see kind of a potentially a new wave and how a lot of this gets done. I can't tell you how many people in the workforce wouldn't have the first clue where to start with that, especially in, in the marketing industry. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at a point in my career where there's a lot of people who have had, you know, 20 plus years of experience uh, ahead of me, but don't have really the experience in, in the digital field. You know, they're, they're big on the strategy, but not really the implementation of, of kind of doing it or, or how it even should be done. So I think, you know, promoting that literacy, I mean, we obviously think it's important because we started a podcast for it, right? Um, yeah, I think that's great. I've run into some scenarios collaborating with companies where 
I would come in to do some link building with the SEO team and we'd kind of put together a plan and we'd establish it and then start going through the ranks. And then PR would, you know, be like, Hey, uh, what are you doing? We're like, Oh, we're doing some link building and we're doing some, you know, outreach, but outreach is our job. It's like, uh, yeah, but like, yeah. So I'm not doing outreach as a representative of the company. I'm trying to place content in various places and, um, but, but outreach is our job. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've worked in scenarios where um, I've had to kind of revise various proposals and scopes of work to almost, you know, have very little to stand on as far as like what the, you know, what was able to offer. And at some point you kind of have to draw the line and say, okay, like I, I don't think I can be successful and deliver results for you without access to these particular tactics. And sometimes that's, that's it. Sometimes you just have to say, okay, I'm, well, have a nice day and we'll, we'll revisit this when you kind of circle back around and see the, see the potential value. But I, I think really a lot of that comes from just a misunderstanding. I, I don't think that um, people inherently being territorial or upset. I think that there is enough overlap in kind of how those things work that um, it's easy for someone to kind of say, that sounds like what I do. And so I, I think it's really, so that's the biggest challenge I kind of run into regularly, I guess, is saying, okay, the bigger the client you do some work with, um, kind of the more pivoting that has to happen and making sure that you're not stepping on toes of PR or the affiliate team or um, any of those other scenarios. Um, so yeah, that's, how about you, Ryan? I know you do a lot of uh, link building. It's kind of like your bread and butter. Do you have any, uh, in particular, like PR stories? Yeah, I mean, uh, typically I work with small to medium-sized businesses, so we don't really have the resources to do outreach. So we really, it really hasn't happened at any point, I think, when I worked in-house that I did some of the, when I was reading up on how to do link building, I was learning from, you know, different blogs and articles about different things you can do. I think that I was doing a little bit of broken link, and I think I was doing a little bit of uh, updating and uh, outdated and in inaccurate information really like in the past eight years. It's, it doesn't really sync up with the clientele that I have, um, especially on work in-house. But I, I do remember back in, so Ryan and I worked for the same firm here in Orlando, um, sort of worked at the same firm at the same time. But the, the lawyer here that was always killing it, that always did the best, he did his own outreach. Um, and he was really like uh, on a lot of websites for like the Casey Anthony case, like as a source for it. Hmm. And it was like almost impossible to, to like beat out all of like the quality links that he'd gotten from that. So it was definitely something that we, we tried to pitch to get the, you know, the, the people in the firm that, that could do that uh, involved. And we actually, the, the owner of that firm was, was pretty involved in trying to get that kind of stuff. But in legal, it's just, it's really difficult to get lawyers to spend any type of, of time like that. So you end up having to sort of like really ghostwrite for them. And then it's like really hard because you have to be a lawyer to really talk intelligently about law or at least have, have, have some kind of background in it. So yeah, that's just, a, that's a real difficult space to do that in. Something that you had mentioned there a second ago that I, I thought was interesting that uh, I thought I might share a tip that I picked up over time that ties into um, some of these different things. We're, we're talking about link building. Um, when you are working with those smaller to medium sized websites, you know, you, you kind of want to throw all that juice wherever you can on, on the homepage or the landing pages or whatever. But I think one of the challenges that sometimes you encounter with working with bigger companies is their homepage, it may be in the 90s for uh, domain authority. So you're not really going to move the needle at all, or at least not very much by kind of 
racking up a bunch of links. And so one of the strategies that I've kind of found in there is saying, okay, uh, what are some of those sub pages that are actually easier to write content around? Like if you're doing stuff for a bank, for instance, and you want to do articles and you want to, rather than mentioning the bank by name and giving them some kind of branded mention, instead just talking about uh, whether it's like checking accounts or credit cards or buying a car or home lending or whatever, and then linking out to some of those sub pages. And uh, what I have seen is that you can move the needle on the page authority individually, um, which often makes people happy, right? You're, you're seeing some impact from the work uh, versus just kind of throwing all that juice at the homepage. And you're still supporting the domain authority overall, but you know sometimes there's just challenges with those bigger companies. They have to get a little bit more strategic on like what sub pages are going to be relevant to point to and uh, you know where where can I show some impact in the work that's relevant to what their goals are. I completely agree with sub, sub pages whenever we do link building we're spreading it around especially since you know we're trying to rank for multiple keywords too not all your keywords are going to be in the home page either. There's only so many things that you're going to rank a, a page for right so you, you kind of have to have some pretty quality subjects uh, matter on there that that's kind of that's kind of pointing at specific keywords that, that are about that. Um, you know, so you're really just talking about good content marketing, um, which I think is really the cornerstone of all SEO this, at this point. You're, you're just going to be limited if, if you're not doing some sort of quality content to boost your rankings. And it's one of those things where like, uh, you know, a rising tide kind of raises uh, all the ships, right? So if you start driving more traffic to those interior pages, it's going to definitely go throughout your site. And it's, uh, it's going to make you rank better when you have more traffic. And you're going to be more authoritative for the main keywords that you care for. Definitely good, good advice there. Before we start to wrap up, I do have like two takeaways that I definitely want to mention before I forget. Way earlier, just another throwback to another podcast we did, Five SEO Skills That Every SEO Should Know. It was interesting because you mentioned Excel and Python, and that's exactly what Paul and I mentioned. Two of the five uh, that we had in there was Excel and Python. And they're pretty pretty specific. So yeah, that's cool. One other thing that um, my my question, my parting question for you, Michael, is, um, you know, as far as outreach, we've had, we've discussed a little bit and then we had a guest a long time ago that we were talking about outreach um, quite a bit. And I'm wondering if there was like this one key adjustment you kind of made that made a difference in your responsiveness and the effectiveness of emails. I think the biggest thing that I really saw have an impact on my outreach is just uh, as time consuming as it may be just doing a little bit of research, even if it's like, you know, five minutes, if it's a worthwhile uh, place to try to place something, just kind of look at like what other content similar to what you're trying to pitch or place already exists because you really can get some closed doors pretty early. If you try to pitch stuff they already have, or inversely, if you can look at what they have and say, this is really great content. This is why this is different they kind of start to see where it parallels and belongs on their site. And so, you know, that's really the biggest thing I found as far as uh, like, if I was going to give one piece of advice, it's just, you can increase your success rate and overall, like, you know, decrease the amount of time that you're spending on outreach because you get more yeses um, just by putting forth just even the tiniest amount of effort and seeing what, what is parallel to what you're trying to pitch. If I can say like one thing from, you know, talking to you the past hour, it sounds like in like summation, you've had the most success just truly being genuine about what you're passionate about writing and didn't, didn't really ever have a, a primary or, or ulterior motive to get links. That's how I got started. And so it became easier to do that going forward. I mean, I, so to be fair, a lot of the people that I know that work in 
SEO, no judgment. They, they came from kind of a, a design and web building background or, and then they saw they needed to optimize sites they were working on. And then from there, they, you know, learned about SEO and, and backlinking, but I don't know a ton of people who go into, you know, web design because they're extroverts. Um, and so I think just kind of, there's just more, um, inherently people who are a little bit more, a little bit more introverted working in SEO overall, I would say, versus coming at it from a PR perspective where being extroverted is like part of that job. Well, that made it kind of easy to kind of make a niche and find a way in because in a lot of ways, that was the work that nobody else wanted to do. (laughs) They were like, you want to do the outreach? You want to go talk to people? Like, that's great. That's the part I hate. So yes, please go do that. And, um, you know, so I think that's, I think that's why that's kind of come naturally is because the approach that I took to coming into SEO and link building was from more of that, you know, PR background versus coming from any number of other places that people kind of discover SEO and, and run with it. If, if you think that SEOs are introverts, you should go to any SEO conference and then you will totally believe that SEOs are introverts. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it, it will, it'll shock you. Yeah, that that's uh, it's it's interesting. Um, that's why there's like SEO celebrities because like no one wants to go up on stage and talk about it. So um, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I was just gonna say, if we're in Fort Worth, we'll drop by. We'll drop some knowledge on on those horn frogs for you. Yeah, let me know. I'll set something up. Yeah. I'm even uh, building a podcast for our, our department, so I'll have you guys on our podcast. Oh, I like that. Oh man, we would love to be on. Well, like, come hang out in Fort Worth. Come visit. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on, Michael. Um, do you have any any websites that you want to uh, pitch out there or anything we can link to in the podcast? I will say that a lot of the things that I uh, teach in the classes come from things that I hear on the podcast here. Um, so there's a lot of insights that I've picked up, particularly as I was going through a lot of the learning phases that I was like, that's really interesting. And, you know, I would hear something in the drive to work in the morning and then hear it coming out of my mouth later that day. Uh, so know that your your podcast efforts have uh, been amplified to the to the greater academia. Uh, so that's a you know feather in your cap. That's exciting. If you if it was like USF, I'd be like, don't. But you're you're good, <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for being on, man. We really appreciate it. And to all our listeners out there, thank you so much. Um, you know, please like, share, subscribe anywhere that, that you see it. Um, you know, if you have any questions at all, you can hit us up at SEOs dead and otherwise at gmail.com. Uh, we respond pretty quickly on there. You know, if you have uh, any questions or years in being on, you know, we love to have guests and, uh, you can also check us out on, on YouTube. Those get posted and they're not very exciting. There's just the podcast, right? So you could just listen to it on a podcast app if you wanted. Uh, it's not really any different. Um, but if you leave comments on there, you know, we, we usually respond pretty quickly to them as well. Uh, But thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Paul Warren. My name is Ryan Klein. And this has been another episode of SEO's Dead and Otherwise. Goodbye. I don't know why I said my name is Paul Warren. That was weird. (laughs) Can I I give you a a random soundbite?